0: And welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast, coming out with lots of Colorado high school football talk show stuff for you guys here. I am your host today, Cody Stoffer, and I'm going to continue a series that Coach V started on Monday on episode 176. If you haven't, go ahead and check that out. These are season previews, you know, talking about this upcoming fall season, recapping last year's season and kind of projecting records. We have this metric or acronym that we use called window of wins or wow where we project their total amount of wins based off of some games that can kind of flip either way looking at their schedule looking at their rosters from last year and looking at highlights from players last year and so all of that being said you know make sure to please check out that episode on monday that was episode 176 that was pine creek doherty air academy coronado cheyenne mountain rampart falcon liberty palmer ridge and vista ridge lots of southern colorado teams that is going to be coach v's area of focus slash range i am going to be focusing on the opposite on the northern side of colorado for the most part with you know a couple of teams interwoven throughout uh the metro area and then some eastern and western slope teams just kind of depending on how we split them up and then mason austin will be bringing you your metro area season previews and all that being said i am going to talk about a handful of 1a and 2a teams on today's episode, mainly from the 1A Northern League. So if you're not familiar, that is going to be Burlington, Lyman, Holyoke, Wiggins, Ray, Yuma. And uh, yeah, we're going to go through all of those teams as well as a few 2A teams as well. So just stay tuned for those 2A teams. They're going to be mainly in the West, you know, so that's going to be a team like Coleridge, rifle let's see what else we got aspen and we also got grand valley on today and then i'm going to finish out that division actually on my next week's episode so we're talking about 10 teams we're in it for the long haul but we got our research right in front of us and we are ready to jump into it and so starting us off i'm going to start in the 1a northern and i'm going to work my way from the bottom of the listed standings that they have all the way to the top of the league And so starting off here, I'm going to be talking about the Burlington Cougars, obviously out of Burlington High School. And, you know, last year was a little bit of a struggle and there's a few reasons why for that. You know, I think that the biggest reason is that they had a ton of first time starters at the helm, including at very key positions such as quarterback And, you know, and the secondary, we had a lot of first time guys that weren't really getting a ton of snaps and still have some growth to do. Not only that, but they also struggled with turnovers. You know, they fumbled the ball or they lost six fumbles, I should say. So not even fumbled six times, but lost six fumbles and then added on another 10 interceptions onto that. That is quite a few turnovers and not as many turnovers were forced. But, you know, they did win a couple of games. I'll go into it a little bit here. They did end up going 2-7 and seven with a and a win on the road, I should say, against Lamar and another win on the road against Rye High School. Now, they still were competitive. You know, I think that's something that I took into account while doing the season preview as a bright spot here is against Elizabeth, which is a 2A playoff school. They did only lose 14-6. And you know, that's pretty close game and a pretty close score and something to maybe be confident about. But otherwise, once they got into league, for some reason, they played Ray twice. Um, But uh, league play was a little bit tough, you know, not really being able to close the gap of talent, I'd probably say, between these other teams in the league. Uh, starting off with losses to Holyoke and Lyman, and then they almost pulled on an upset, pulled off an upset, I should say, against Yuma as they lost ten to nine, so only a one point difference there. And maybe that's a game that could potentially swing in their favor this year. But before we jump into that, you know, just finishing off this recap, they then closed out their season with losses to Wiggins and Ray. Now this is one of the toughest leagues in all of Colorado football, 1A through 5A, very competitive. I mean, it's sent five teams to the playoffs in only a 16-team bracket. And, you know, for Burlington to have lost to all five of those teams, I mean, it definitely sucks because, you know, there are league teams. They are, you know, a little bit more on that rivalry side. And Burlington is, you know, a team that has found success in the past. So this is a program that has had multiple eight-win seasons, you know, in in the past decade. And so, you know, it is a little surprising to see them kind of run into this rough patch somewhat. But you know, there are some returning pieces coming back next year to maybe improve that win record or whatnot. But first off, we're gonna talk about some seniors who graduated and you can't really talk about it without talking about Ty Markham. He was their second leading receiver and their third leading running back. But uh, you know, I think that the more concerning thing is that five of their top 11 tacklers graduated who contributed 22 and a half tackles for loss and eight sacks. And I mean, number 76 Floyd with a team leading seven and a half tackles for loss is, you know, one of the bright spots on their defense and he graduated. So this defense is losing a lot of talent and, you know, it is going to take some serious growth by their quarterback to, you know, bring this team back into relevancy. And that quarterback for Burlington is, is Garrett Richardson, who, you know, was also a stud on the defensive side of the ball and is a great return, you know, being responsible for five interceptions and six pass deflections. But he also led the team in tackles with 60. He's obviously a very strong athlete and, you know, was somebody who could run with the football as well, rushing for four touchdowns and almost picking up 300 yards. And, you know, he also threw eight touchdowns. However, the interceptions and the fumbles were some things that caused this team quite a bit this year you know he threw for more interceptions than touchdowns so he's got to be more accurate he's got to make smarter decisions he's got to just not rely on being a great athlete in order to win football games so you know just getting a little bit smarter studying some film a little bit more and then keeping that ball protected as well I mean when you force five interceptions that's fantastic but it doesn't matter if you throw twice as many and then lose an additional three fumbles but you know who else is helping him out in that you know defensive backfield is Logan Boyd he's an incoming senior who recorded four interceptions and then 12 pass deflections for this Burlington squad and honestly those are pretty impressive stats and we'll see if him and Garrett can hold down the defensive secondary even while missing out on some front seven guys but I mean you still do have some front seven guys who are going to be coming back like uh Dominic Conrardi who you know on the defensive side of the ball, was an absolute stud. He led the team in sacks. He was second on the team with seven tackles for loss. So, you know, they are getting a pretty decent handful of production there. And, you know, if he can convert some more of his hurries into sacks, I could see him having a massive year and potentially being an All-State caliber player. Now, I'm not saying first, second or honorable mention, but I think that is the upside that Dominic has on this defensive side of the ball. I also want to mention... That he was second on the team in rushing, but and also led the team with 12 receptions, but not at the most efficient clip. He didn't have the highest average in yards per carry and definitely needs to have more lanes provided for him. You know, I'd say that the line, the offensive line, was maybe a little bit of a struggle last year. And that is something that you cannot have in this 1A North Central League because these lines are big, they're strong, they're mean, and you have got to have a line to keep up with these other teams in the league so that's going to be a huge question mark and if Dominic can capitalize on that or make more plays on his own or if Garrett opens up more opportunities by being smarter in the past there's a couple of different ways that you can overcome this we'll just see what Burlington's strategy is and then also Matthew uh, Tierrez was the leader of return yards and you know Dominic Conrardi and Garrett were both returning kicks and punts at some points throughout the year. But I think if Matthew can field more of those kicks as well as contribute as maybe a skill position player on offense more, that'll take a lot of pressure out of those two guys off of those two guys and provide more opportunities for the rest of the team. And then lastly, you know, there's a Daniel Chacon who, you know, or I should say Chacon who is six foot three and 180 pounds coming in. At uh, his junior year for wide receiver and defensive end, you know, and that frame alone is a very intriguing prospect to kind of look at. And last but not least, uh, Angel Vela, who as a sophomore was able to come up with four fumble recoveries and also tacked on uh, five tackles a game. So, you know, they have some young talent both in that junior and that senior class. It's just a matter of how they're going to develop. And, you know, I feel like with a handful of returners, that maybe Burlington's non-league record would have been different if they played those same non-league teams at the end of the year. Uh, Like, maybe they could have beat Elizabeth. And I think that their matchup against Goodland will be very reflective of how far this team has come in the offseason. But I don't know if the Cougars have shown me enough to warrant more confidence in their league performance. Uh, You know, they have a lot of question marks on the offensive and defensive line, I think. And they lost some pretty good talent uh, on the defensive side of the ball to graduation. And so I think there are more questions for answers for Burlington. But, uh, you know, with a year under his belt, we'll see what Garrett Richardson is made of and how much better he can play this year. I also think that uh, on top of that, with uh, Dominic Conrardi being on my watch list as an All-State potential talent, you know, this team could squeak in. A pretty decent amount of wins. It depends on what the rest of their non-league schedule kind of looks like. Because looking at their schedule right now, um, oh wow, they updated their schedule since I literally studied this last night. By the way, I'm recording this on June 30th. But you know, for their non-league games, they are facing Junta, Elizabeth again, Goodland, which is the team I was talking about in Kansas, Lamar, before coming back to their league schedule of Lyman Yuma, Wiggins, Ray, and Holyoke. So, you know, I think against these teams, I mean, it's obvious that they do have a handful of 2A teams on here. But, you know, against La Junta, that was a playoff team last year in 2A. So was Elizabeth. I, I know Elizabeth is graduating a handful of players. So, you know, I think that that is a game that they could potentially win. La Junta was a pretty young team last year, so they'll be returning a lot. That should be an interesting game. And then, you know, against Lamar, they did pull off that win against Alamosa to end their season. And they are also a very young team. So, you know, I think it'll be intriguing. If you can walk away from league at three and one, which I think is possible, then you got to be feeling pretty good about how maybe stealing a couple games in league. However, I think that two and two is probably a little bit more realistic for looking at their non-league schedule. And then, you know, for, for league play, I see them, uh, you know, uh, I'm a little concerned because, I mean, trying to get wins in this league is hard in general for any team. And then after, you know, a lot of these teams are returning a lot of players or they're looking to contend this year or whether it's a perennial powerhouse like Lyman, it makes it really hard. I think that in league they could potentially come across a win against Yuma, maybe, But that's pretty big, maybe, depending on how the Yuma offense looks. More on that in a bit. But, um, yeah, overall, I give, you know, Burlington's window of wins between two and four uh, total wins. So you're looking at a two and seven or a four and five season. If they manage to eke out four and five, I think that their strength of schedule may be strong enough to propel them into, like, a 16 seed in the playoffs. I'm just not sure on how necessarily... They would fare there, but they do have to win a league game to make that possible. And they do have to defeat some strong opponents in to a football in order to pull that off. But I think that any less than two wins would be a little bit of a disappointment. And then, you know, if they manage to go above 500 with a five and four record, or if they get another game scheduled to make it five and five, um, I think that it's a very successful season and a solid bounce back season for the Cougars. And talking up next, I'm going to transition to Holyoke and talk about the Dragons, whose logo is sweet, by the way. And, you know, this is a team that we are somewhat familiar with. We were put onto them by Miles Sprague, who is a top five senior linebacker for, you know, Playmakers Corner. And uh, he actually even sat down and did an interview and, you know, said, hey, check us out. We we can be pretty nice this year. And, you know, I'd say despite, you know, uh, kind of the up and down status of their season, That they put on a pretty good show this past year and I think that there's plenty to talk about you know in this recap I will go over they did go five and five overall last year they made the playoffs at five and four before inevitably losing to Meeker in a very exciting shootout um you know I it was a 42 to 35 game but you know in their other games it was just very interesting to see how they fared I mean Their losses were all two playoff teams during the regular season. And, uh, you know, their season was a little bit kneecapped by their league performance, as they did lose to Ray 28 to 11, Lyman 40 to 14, Yuma 29 to 13, all during the regular season. And then they lost to Florence, which was, I believe, the fourth seed in the 1A playoffs this past year. And then obviously Meeker in the playoffs, who had an incredible playmaker themselves. So You know, they went against some good, they lost against good teams, I'll say. And I think that part of it was, you know, part of their struggles were starting a little young at the quarterback position with Miles' younger brother, Wyatt Sprague. Um, Some of the growing pains could definitely be seen in the completion percentage, as well as the TD to INT ratio. But uh, before talking more about Wyatt Sprague, let's talk about his older brother and some graduating seniors. The looming one, the one that really hurts, is Miles Sprague graduating, who athletically is a D1 talent, in my opinion, um, and is playing college football at CSU Pueblo, who's known to kind of poach some D1 potential players, I'd say. Um, You know, he was a beast. He had nearly 1,400 scrimmage yards. He had 14 combined rushing and receiving touchdowns, not to mention he was a leading tackler. Like I said, one of our top five senior linebackers, who forced four fumbles, had two interceptions, and was also responsible for, or at least statistically on Max Preps, the team's lone blocked punt. And I think that Miles Sprague was a generational talent from Holyoke, who has built quite a legacy, and you know made a pretty big footprint on the community and for his brothers to follow. Obviously, you know the Spragues are very tight in this football community and are integral to Holyoke football. And I think Wyatt will continue to try and uphold that the best he can. But Miles graduating is definitely tough because he was a phenomenal player on both sides of the ball. In addition to Miles, they are losing, you know, Kaizen Kinney, Aiden Schaefer, Cade Killen, and Johnny Quintana, who combined for 20 sacks. And that didn't even include Miles Sprague's four. And then, you know, uh, Cade Killen was second team All State, listed at offensive line slash defensive line. So you're losing a little bit of size up front. Seven of their top 11 tacklers are graduating, which is tough. It's tough to replace, you know, a little over half your defense. And, um, you know, the defensive side of the ball is definitely the part that hurts a lot. However, I do think that Miles' younger brother, as far as returning playmakers goes, is a very good one to be coming back. You know, Wyatt Sprague, he shows tremendous upside, I think. And, you know, I, I believe in the coaching staff. To get everything that they possibly can out of him. Now, while he did struggle with some decision making last year, I think that maybe not having his brother on the team might help him. Which sounds a little weird, but you know, if I was playing with my brother, I might be eyeballing him or staring him down on reads, and maybe he'll be able to break that mold a little bit. And you know, he's a great athlete in general on the defensive side of the ball. Um, he also had three interceptions of his own to try and cut down his own ratio. So I think that that's fantastic. This secondary in general seems like it could be something special here at Holyoke or just the pass defense in general. As Bryce and Dirks and Cash Weber are returning, and they have twenty-seven combined pass deflections between just the two of them. And then on top of that, Cash is a good receive is a good receiving threat on this uh, on this level and in this league, picking up five touchdowns on two hundred seventy-six yards. And, you know, this class of 24 is pretty loaded. Not only do you have Dirks, Weber, Wyatt, but you also have Tyson Mossentine. I want to say is how you say that, uh, who had 250 receiving yards, over 200 rushing yards, and a handful of scores while tackling on, or tacking on another 53 tackles. So, you know, this class of 24, I think, is super special and something that, you know, will help this team compete. But I'm not positive if I've seen enough slash if they are going to be able to overcome some of the things that they did lose this year but you know we'll, we'll go through the predicted record you know for this Holyoke squad they are facing a very interesting schedule I mean they start off the season against a very solid Strasburg team who did make the playoffs last year as well and also had a first round exit so both of these teams they have young quarterbacks I believe that they're both incoming juniors who have a lot to prove And, you know, look to prove that. However, uh, Strasburg, I am a little bit more familiar with their running game. So we will see how that game goes. Then they have a game against the eight man champs. And I'm not really sure how they adjust that. Or if Haxton is coming up to the 1A level, I'm pretty sure that they're not. I'm pretty sure that they're still an eight man team. But I mean, while it is an eight man champion, you should still probably handle business there and get a win. And then, you know, they do have a game scheduled against Hershey from Nebraska and the rest of their league. I think that the Strasburg game is going to be very indicative of how the rest of their season will go. I think that Strasburg is, you know, on par with a lot of these 1A Northern teams, both traditionally and talent wise. And, you know, they did lose to Yuma in the first round last year. But uh, what was an interesting matchup throughout the year for a handful of these teams. No, I think that they're losing a bit much to be immediately competitive, but I think that this team and the class of 24 that they'll be a lot stronger here in 2 years. I think that they'll probably win two games in league again, and that kind of leaves their window of wins somewhere between 4 to 6. I think that they can snag at least two wins in non-league play, and then obviously if they snag three and, you know, go 5 and 4 two years in a row, that's fantastic. And if they don't, it's not the biggest deal, but definitely don't drop that game to an eight man football squad. No disrespect, but I mean, eight, 11, come on, like f- figure it out against a team that maybe doesn't play the same game as you or, you know, take advantage uh, with a little bit more depth. If you have to play on a different set of rules, Um, I think that they can make the playoffs again but I think that they're going to have some growing pains kind of replacing their talent from last year. And I think that this team goes as far. I think that the team's chances of making the playoffs sits squarely on Wyatt's shoulders and how far he has come in this off season. So there are still a handful of questions to be answered. I believe in the Sprags to, you know, turn this into a football team. I believe in Wyatt and, you know, who is still remain of the Sprags who are still on the coaching staff to make something out of this Holy Oak squad for you know, probably a four and five or five and four season and end up in the postseason with, with an upside of maybe six wins. Who knows if they maybe leave with a winning record in league. Up next in this league is a very familiar team. I'm sure you guys are familiar after we went to their game versus Yuma High School and after a couple of their players snagged some PMC awards. That is the Wiggins Tigers football team. You know, uh, Dalton Reisner's home, hometown and home place, obviously, who's now a Denver Broncos player who showed us some love. So appreciate that. And Wiggins is a very, very intriguing school to look at this year, not only because of what they are returning, but, you know, their schedule is kind of absurd. So to talk about last year, they ended up going six and four with losses to Ray 20 to seven, Holyoke, 41 to 26 and Lyman, 59 to 27. And they did have a lead on Lyman. And I think it was the first time that Lyman was behind at half in like over a year or two. So, you know, they did have something to maybe be a little bit happy about before that game started to kind of slip away. And then they ended their season against North Fork in a 38 to 25 first round playoff exit. And when we're looking at some things that may have gone wrong, may have gone right. You know, obviously they have Cole Kerr at quarterback, which more on him in a minute, but he's a potential top five senior quarterback. And, you know, he was our, I want to say he was either our offensive playmaker of the year or our most valuable playmaker, but I want to say he was offensive playmaker of the year. And then they also had Pepper Rusher, who was our defensive playmaker of the year, and also had a game ceiling block against uh, Yuma in that thriller that I got to see that was one of the craziest games that I ever saw. But, you know, in the games that they lost, uh, I would say that they averaged less than their usual yards per carry, which was eight with seven, 6.6, 7.6, and 5.5 respectively. Those are all still great yards per carries. But I also want to point out that they did not force a ton of turnovers. You know, they didn't force a lot of fumbles. They didn't recover a lot of fumbles that they did force. And they had to live off of interceptions for turnovers, which is pretty tough at the 1A level. So I think that they need to improve their, you know, ability to force turnovers on defense. They need to work on stripping the ball a lot more, work on hitting a little bit harder, and just overall growing in that aspect or in those aspects on the defensive side of the ball. And then maybe limiting turnovers as well on the offensive side of the ball. But as far as graduating talent goes, you know, in our usual format, our usual chemistry context, step-by-step here, You know, they did graduate Ryder Basler, I want to say is how you say that. And, you know, on defense, he was a bit of a hog, you know, with 57 tackles and a sack and then on offense contributing 420 yards and five total touchdowns. So a very versatile player that they graduated there in Ryder. But I think that the really big loss here is in Mohamed Ibrahim, who is their leading tackler. A very solid offensive lineman. I saw him do very well in that game against Yuma, taking good steps. He's very athletic for a lineman and very, very strong. You know, his younger brother will be returning, but Mohammed was the only uh, first-team All-State player, and I think that obviously this hurts skill-wise, and it's going to be tough to replace his versatility since he was able to play defensive line, he was able to play defensive end, but also middle linebacker, an outside linebacker, and drop back in coverage you know, pull on run blocks, pass block. He could do it all. And that versatility is going to be very hard to replace in that frame, size, and strength um, for this Wiggins team. And then, you know, also losing that valuable leadership in that graduation and, you know, a little bit of that bond, being able to play with your brother, that definitely hurts a little bit. I'm not sure what his plans are if he's going to college or if he's going to stick around and coach, but I think Wiggins would be better off if he was around the team, but just because they lost these guys, including Mohammed, despite being a great talent, they are not SOL. They have plenty of talent here. You know, they're returning all players who recorded a tackle basically, except for two. They're returning Pepper Rusher, who was second on the team with 108 tackles behind Mohammed and 10 sacks. That production on the 1A level is pretty absurd. And, you know, he did have some kind of bust up the line and takeover kind of games. So, you know, that's something that's coming back on the defensive side of the ball. That's something to look forward to. And not only that, but they also have Trey Fasiki, who's going to be returning, who was responsible for two interceptions. And uh, Cole Kerr on the defensive side of the ball also had three interceptions that he forced as well. So, you know, they have some contributing members who did get a couple of interceptions, but I think that mainly the story here, besides their deeply returning defense, is their offense led by Cole Kerr, who is their leading rusher, their leading passer. He had over 3,000 yards of scrimmage and 42 total touchdowns. He threw for 27 and ran for another 15. He's ripped off 60 yard runs. He's ripped off 80 yard runs. He's incredibly fast, very athletic, and a little bit on the more difficult side to bring down. So, you know, you have all that going for you, as well as, you know, his returning leading pass catchers in Omar Perez, who caught for over 800 yards and 14 scores for this Wigan team's 14 touchdowns out of receiver position in 1-8 football is just bonkers, honestly. So you get your number one target back there. You also get a big body tight end in Trey Fasiki, who, you know, caught for 578 yards and another five scores. I think that. Their chemistry will only grow, and I think that he fits their scheme very well, and maybe some things that they can experiment with as well. And then, you know, at the running back position, they are returning Julio Flores, who is their second leading rusher with 433 yards on 49 carries. And, you know, looking back at their schedule, their losses were very quality, but I think that they were winnable games. You know, I think that obviously this game against Ray, where... They end up losing by two scores it is one where, you know, if you take away a couple of mental mistakes, that's one that you can get away with. And one that if you can hold them back a little bit more on defense that you can walk away with. I think that this Holyoke loss was well, at the time, it was definitely a surprise to me following their performance against Yuma and Holyoke in previous weeks. But I mean, you can't sleep on teams. You can't be feeling good and ride that high against that Yuma team too high because then you're going to come back down to earth. And then to lose this game to Lyman was maybe expected, but maybe not the way that they were expecting. They just got grinded out. That's what Lyman does. They continuously pound the ball with whoever they have at tailback. And, uh, you know, when you have to combat Jeremiah Lieber as well as Gabe Schubarth, that makes for a pretty tough test, I would say. And so losing that game was not a surprise, but one that I bet they will be preparing for and will be you know, getting their endurance up for, for sure. And then their playoff loss to North Fork. This is one that I was wrong about in the postseason prediction I took Wiggins in this game. But I mean, North Fork was a very, very, very talented defense. I mean, Colson Holmbeek was probably a generational talent over there at North Fork. And then, you know, they managed to find a way to efficiently move the ball on the offensive side. So I don't think that's the worst loss ever. I don't think any of these are necessarily bad losses. But they are winnable games and going two and three in league, I think would it's fair to say was a little bit of a disappointment for this Wigan squad. And so, you know, with a very complete schedule, I think it's very interesting that they start off against two a squads with both Platte Valley and then following that they will face Brush, who was the two a state runner ups. And then following that, they have Strasburg. So these first three games are going to be pretty tough. You know, Platte Valley is very solid school brush. I mean, they are graduating a lot of players, I'd say, but I don't know if it's enough to necessarily warrant Wiggins to win here, but it's a game that I'll pick. Um, And then following those three games, they will face Rocky Ford and Platte Valley. Once again, to close out their non-league schedule, they're playing 10 games this year. That's what they have scheduled. And, Look, I think that out of these first three games, if you can leave that stretch against 2A teams 2-1 and, and Strasburg 2-1, you're in a pretty good spot. You're in a pretty good spot going into Rocky Ford. I think that that's a game that they do win. But either way, I think that they need to ideally go 2-1 against these 2A teams between their two matchups against Platte Valley. If they split Platte Valley and manage to beat Brush, I think that that's just fine. Or, you know, if they... If they lose both these first two games and then come back and beat Platte Valley, I think that's a good spot to be. However, I would be pretty worried if they do enter league play at two and three. I just don't see it. I see three and two um, heading out of their league play with an upside of four and one. And then league play, this is where it gets interesting. I mean, you got Yuma on the road. You got Holyoke on the road before closing off with three consecutive home games going Burlington, Lyman, Ray. Okay, so... I think that you have to have a winning record in league this year. They weren't able to do that last year. And, you know, they are facing a handful of contenders, both in and out of league, I would say. I think Strasbourg is another contender. Strasbourg's schedule is looking to be very, very strong, by the way. So, you know, even if they go 500, expect them to have a solid seed in the playoffs. But, um, you know, I think that Wiggins here... I think that they have just a little bit more experience at some certain skill positions, uh, namely quarterback. And that's a game that, you know, Wiggins should win, but I could see Strasburg winning behind a very strong running game and, you know, a huge growth out of their in, well, I shouldn't say incoming, but the last year's sophomore quarterback and their backup quarterback also played very, very well as well. So we will see. It is on the road. That does make it difficult. But if they can steal that, they'll be in a very, very good spot. And then, you know, obviously Rocky Ford, I'm already chalking it up as a win. And then if they can get two wins against those two A-teams, that's very good for seeding and confidence and is kind of what I'm expecting to see. So I'm looking for maybe a 3-2 and two run in non-league. And then in league, I see them going 3-2. and two. Uh, I don't know if they have an answer to Lyman and Ray's defensive and offensive lines. I think that those things are the things that grinded them out last year. And I just don't know if they've necessarily, if they're going to take a step to combat that on the offensive line. I mean, losing Mohammed really hurts with that. Granted, Lyman and Ray both are obviously graduating talent. However, their lines are still very ferocious this year. So I think that in these games, you definitely need to learn. But, uh, I mean, obviously, play to win every time you play. But uh, I I don't know about those. But I do think that they could swap the ending on Holyoke. I think that they could beat Holyoke this year, as long as they don't overlook them. And I can see them ending up, you know, in that 6-4 and four or 7-3 and three range more than likely. However, I think that their window of wins is probably the widest out of any teams that I broke down. Because I think that they can win as little as five games and go five and five. Or, you know, if they managed to pull off a couple of upsets, they could end up eight and two. Um, if they manage to, you know, maybe only lose one game in league and only lose one non-league game. I think that would be very ideal and could lead to a potential two seed in the postseason. But uh, you know, it's still to be seen if they have an answer for Lyman or Ray. I think that, you know, Ray is going to get significantly better this year on the offensive side of the ball. More on that in a second. But uh, it is definitely something to maybe keep tabs on. But this Wiggins team, I mean, they have the guy under center. They have his number one pass catcher. They have, you know, a running back who I think should probably get more carries to take off a little bit of the burden from Cole. They got to create lanes. They're returning a lot of their defense. This looks like a team that is primed and ready for competing for a state title. I just have to be proven a little bit more. So that's my goal for Wiggins here. Look, Wiggins, I love this squad. I got to meet all you guys. You guys are a great time. But uh, you guys have to get over the Lyman Badger hump like so many other teams have to try and do. And uh, until I see that, I won't be entirely sure. So, but best of luck to, I mean, all of these teams, obviously. But uh, Wiggins Tigers, definitely keep an eye on that team to maybe end up in CSU Pueblo late in the year. All right, and following Wiggins, I'm going to talk about the Yuma football team. I had a pleasure of talking with their, you know, play-by-play guy who is responsible for the broadcast. Very cool cat and a very cool community as well. And, you know, they had a very, very successful season last year. You know, they ended up going 5-4 and four in the regular season, including, you know, a couple of out-of-state wins as well. Uh, such as Burns in Wyoming and Sydney out of Nebraska. So, you know, they, they had some good runs, and they also won their playoff game, like I said, against Strasburg, 35-20. to 20. That is a game that we got incorrectly. But, I mean, <clears throat> when you're powered by one of the best, you know, runners in the state, that is something that can happen. And so for Yuma, you know, they eventually lost to the state champs in Centauri, which is not necessarily a bad loss. But, uh, you know, they did get a revenge win in the playoffs against Strasburg. And they did so on the heels of a historic season by Clay Robinson, who ran for 1,742 yards and 19 touchdowns. And, you know, his other running mate in the backfield, Yahir Trejo, he, you know, also tore it up for this Yuma squad. And, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, I mean, they were responsible for, for the majority of points and yards. I mean, while Clay did throw a couple of touchdowns, obviously, for this Yuma squad, he was definitely more of a threat on the ground, but still did throw three touchdowns, including one that I saw in the game against Wiggins. But, you know, between the two of them, they are losing like 2,300 scrimmage yards and nearly 30 touchdowns. And the production drop-off following those guys is a very very steep one they also are losing you know a very valuable senior in josh or john smith my bad who was an all-state honorable mention he caught half of the team's receiving touchdowns and you know on top of that he also had 62 tackles and led the team with five interceptions and that's a pretty tough loss for a secondary that didn't really force a whole lot of interceptions last year on top of that not only are five of their top eleven tacklers graduating, but really eight of the top fourteen are graduating. So that percentage gets a little bit more harsh. And then Andre Baki was a uh, first day all or first team all state offensive lineman and defensive lineman who will be graduating. And uh, Jose Ruiz is another all state guy uh, on the line who is graduating. So they are losing a lot of strength and size up front. And a lot of athleticism in the backfield as well as in that defensive backfield, which that's a lot of key pieces to lose for this team that did, you know, have to work very hard for their victories this past year. I mean, just looking at their schedule, a lot of these games are one score games. I mean, the game against Burns is a little bit of an exception here as they won 41 to six, but against Straussburg, they lost 19 to 16. Against Highland, they beat them 28-21. That was the week that year Trejo won Offensive Playmaker of the Week. I remember that for the 1A level. Against Sydney, they did win 21-12. to But then against Burlington, they won 10-9. to And then closing their season off against Holyoke, they won 29-13. But all these losses were pretty close, excluding the Lyman game. I mean, against Wiggins, they attempted a field goal and could have won at the very last second with time expiring. Against Ray, they only lost by six points in the regular season. And, you know, the only exception to that was Lyman, which they lost 34 to 10. But I mean, they had a very impressive season. There's a lot to be happy about if you are this Yuma squad, but they are losing a lot of talent. And I don't know if that's something that you can replace. I mean, Clay Robinson was one of the fastest, you know, athletes, period, in the state of Colorado, being, you know, a guy who was going to the next level, or at least that's what I was told for track and field. In those running events so that is really hard to replace a track star at quarterback slash wildcat running back that was just phenomenal and showed incredible burst and acceleration as well and then to lose his running mate here is also not great but you know <clears throat> they are returning some studs they are getting uh kalen Bloch, who recorded 92 tackles and five for loss and i think that he should be the leader for this defense and could be an all-state caliber kind of guy You also get uh, Kevin Herman-Ceo, who's returning for his senior year and was second on the team in assisted tackles with 30 tackles. You also have a sophomore stud from last year, Trey Stegman, who recorded 43 tackles last year. And, you know, the leader for sacks and tackles for loss on this human squad is returning in Victor Perez, who I think is integral for this D-line to not take a huge step and, you know also still have some All-State talent up front on that D-line, which is very, very important in this league with very strong and uh, corn-fed linemen on both sides of the ball. So, additionally, you know, on defense, I did watch the film of Damon Thornton. He's somebody who I think is extremely athletic and could potentially fill the void of John Smith's interceptions. And, you know, part of my reasoning for that is that he did match john smith and leading the team in pass deflections last year and when i was watching his film and gave him his feedback i told him that he's got to turn more of those pass deflections into interceptions and he's got to react a little bit better to the run game and come up and play the run game a lot stronger so you know those are two points of emphasis that i gave him in the offseason if he can address those then that's another great stud that they have on the defensive side of the ball and then you know on the offensive side of the ball this is the bigger question mark for yuma for me personally they are returning a class of 23 guy, uh, like Ross and Richardson who recorded carries last year. But I think that class of 24 running back Silas Bakke, uh, could lead the team in carries this year since he was third on the team with carries last year. But you know, his average yards per carry weren't fantastic. And behind a line that produced such magnificent totals for other backs, I do think that his vision is something that he could definitely develop and work on and should be working on this offseason to give Yuma the best chance they had. And, you know, looking ahead at their schedule for this upcoming season, it's another kind of interesting one. Obviously, they have their league, and then their three non-league games that they have are against Sterling, Burns, and Banning Lewis Academy. Now, I do think that they should probably run away from Burns again this year, and Sterling, I think that that's a 2 8 team that they can be, honestly. Sterling was uh, probably my biggest flop here to date on Playmakers Corner. So we'll see how they're looking this year. But, uh, you know, definitely lost some solid talent that they had last year and uh, struggled pretty mightily through throughout their season. So, you know, I think that their defense is good enough to score and, you know, get some wins against Sterling and Burns. I do think that banning Lewis Academy could potentially be a loss. And then, you know, heading into league, they have to be careful not to underestimate any opponent uh, to lose all league games. I think that, you know, there are just so many questions on this offense and who's up next and how effective they'll be, how the line will look when they're reshuffled, you know, on the offensive side of the ball. And, you know, I say all this, but at the same time, Yuma's defense can be better than it was last year. But will that be enough after losing over 30 touchdowns from last year? I'm not positive. But, um, you know, I think that their window of wins, depending on how they fill out their non-league games, could land anywhere from two to four. I'm just concerned about how their close wins would look this year if they're not able to put up the same amount of points on the offensive side of the ball to remain competitive. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they still made playoffs from scheduled difficulty or upsetting a team in their league, but they're also on that slippery slope where if they don't, you know, come ready, come prepared, or if they're not healthy or something along those lines, or they don't have someone step up on offense, they could potentially lose to a Burlington team that, Only lost to them by one point last year. And that's something that I'd be a little bit worried about, you know, keeping that, you know, Burlington team in my rear view. And then you're going to have to upset one of the other four teams in this league. I don't think that, you know, some of these teams, like I don't think Wiggins is going to be played as closely. I don't think that you're going to be able to thump Holyoke and kick them around 29 to 13. I think that you're going to have to really grind for some of these wins. And this defense is going to have to be historic to have a winning record in this league. And or they have some secret weapon on offense that I'm not sure about. Um, Look, I, I know the Yuma coaching staff. I think that they adapted pretty well to the hand that they were dealt last year. I think that they're capable of doing so again. And, you know, with the athletes that they have on the defensive side of the ball, they should be able to make something out of the offense. So I could see a four and five season once they are once they fill out their non-league games and depending on how that necessarily looks, but I don't know about a winning record in league this year. That is still a huge question mark. And it's not necessarily a slight at the players of now, but it's more, that's a lot of production and a lot of snaps that you have to replace on the offensive side of the ball that does worry me. And this brings me to, you know, The runner up in the North Central League and, you know, a very solid season. And that is from the Ray Eagles out of Ray, Colorado. These were, you know, this team was one of the pleasant surprises of this last season and is a team that I'm very excited to see. And I hope that they're a team that can get over the hump. And I'll talk about the hump in a second. But, you know, last year, nine and three. And their only losses were to teams that ended up in the state championship. Not too bad, you know, they lost to Centauri to start the season, but they played them really well, and I remember noting this in the very first recap, just saying, hey, you know, Centauri and Ray, that's a very heavyweight matchup between two very good teams from last year. Centauri won this 28-14, but I think that Ray played them pretty well. Uh, Obviously, the fast break Falcons is a very tough offense to prepare for week one, but um, with, along with the 1A MVP and a top five senior running back and Mason Clanch. you know, this entire team was stacked. There's a reason that they won state and that Lyman team was stacked. There's a reason that they were in state. However, I think that, you know, this Lyman hump is something to keep an eye on. You know, in the regular season, Bray played very uncharacteristically against Lyman, losing 41 to nothing. And then in the playoff game, I watched this playoff game. It was it was tough because, I mean, Lyman just did the same thing that they do to everyone else and just grinded you know, raise bones to, to a mush here as they won 42 to eight. And so looking through those games, I had to try and figure out what exactly went wrong. And, you know, I looked into the history of it and since the fall of 2016, when Ray started playing Lyman every year, they have not been able to get over the badger bump here, you know, and in this, in their losses this year, uh, they got hammered in the trenches having below three yards per carry or four yards per carry in each loss. And during their regular season losses, they also had sub 50% completion percentage. So I think that the defensive lines getting a push was very overwhelming, and that would add up for, you know, a very talented Centauri front seven, and that would very much so add up for a lineman squad that hosted two all state players on that defensive line, as well as, you know, all state linebackers that were first team guys as well. So, you know, I think that and in those games they only forced one turnover between the three of those games combined versus normally they're like a turn they're worth a turnover every week right so I don't want to get it twisted Ray season was massively successful behind a squad that averaged 34 33 points per game in wins and they had a very stout defense that typically held opponents to one score and you know a huge highlight of last season that gets me very excited for this season was obviously our newcomer of the year freshman quarterback Casey mid Mid-cap, who is responsible for 11 touchdowns, eight passing and three rushing to only four picks. So very efficient, only lost one fumble. And I think that this team has some youth, that important positions and stability within the program that should have them in a position to contend as they did last season. Not, not to say that they didn't lose any talent. However, you know, they will be without second team, all state tight end slash defensive end, Bryant Schoenthal, who, you know, led the team in receiving with eight touchdowns He had a half century worth of yards. And then on the defensive side of the ball, collected another 12 and a half tackles for loss and seven sacks. So, you know, you are losing a very explosive and playmaking defensive end there. And then, you know, speaking of defensive prowess, uh, Rice Peterson led this unit with four fumble recoveries, four pass deflections, and then tacked on another 85 total tackles and a team leading 30 solo tackles. And, you know, I'd say between... His contribution there, as well as Bryant on the offensive side of the ball, they contributed for over 800 yards and 12 of the 18 receiving touchdowns. That is a lot of production to lose in you know the pass catching department, but they are returning some talent in the pass catching department as well. You know, wide receiver one, uh, Chris Arambula, who notched nearly 500 yards, you know, will be returning. He did struggle to find Pater, and in the game against Lyman in the playoffs. He did have a little bit of a case of the yips, I would say. Uh, He did drop some pretty easy curl routes and whatnot. And uh, that is definitely an area of focus for him this offseason. And, you know, working with his quarterback, Casey, in order to give this chance their best chance, this team their best chance to get over that hump in their North Central League, right? I also want to mention that, you know, their lead running back on offense, Caden Bauer, is returning to the fold from a junior year. And which, you know, an interesting combination of agility and power from watching his film led to 787 yards and eight scores. I'd say that his vision was best out of Wildcat and misdirection looks, and he falls it nearly every time. But I think that he needs to show more versatility. I think that that's going to help this team, especially if he can catch the ball for, you know, diversifying their offense that now has a second-year quarterback. Hopefully, you can run some more complex concepts and, you know, throw some... There some tricky stuff at teams because I think that their offense just got malignant at certain times through the season and especially in those losses where it just became maybe a little bit too predictable or they fell into a rut and they need something to kind of jumpstart that offense again in order to stay competitive in some of these heavyweight games. Additionally to that, you know, Caden does have to protect the football more. I mean, eight fumbles and four lost fumbles is... That's not going to help your team to a championship run. You have to protect the football. You have to run strong and whatnot. But if you're coughing the ball on the carpet, it's not worth those extra two yards from you trucking someone. OK. But, uh, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, you can't talk about this offense without talking about, like I said, newcomer of the year recipient, our debut, I should say, our inaugural uh, recipient, uh, Casey Midcap who, you know, his freshman season, I did break down his film. I think that he does a good job of getting the ball where it needs to get. I think that his timing can come a little bit of a ways. And then, you know, I think that they can hand him the keys on some of these routes and allow him to make adjustments at the line. I do think that if he's able to do that, this team has a very, very strong chance of being your 1A football champions. If he's able to make those strides and continue to improve off of what he did last year. Because I thought that he was very impressive as a freshman quarterback. And, you know, he passes the eye test as well. He's pretty athletic and he has a solid arm as well. Uh, It'll only get stronger, which is good for stretching out defenses, because I think that you could tell that arm power could be a little inconsistent at times. But I had no problem with them rolling with him last year. All right. On top of that, on top of their offense, they are still returning some serious studs on the defensive side of the ball. You have Peyton Wade, who led the team with three interceptions, and he should look to push that number up if they have a chance at a league or state championship. But, I mean, you have All-State Honorable Mention, Brady Collins, who collected 90 tackles and led the team in tackles for loss with 23. He is one of seven returning leading tacklers on this team to return. He's a huge bounce back i'm pretty sure that he was also a playmaker of the week recipient at one point but you can't talk about wrecking the backfield without talking about the wyoming commit tell wade who i mean out of 1a football he's going to play division one football and i think that's all you need to know to know that he's an absolute game record he had 20 and a half tackles for loss and you know led the team in sacks with 10 and combines an imposing frame and strength with a physicality and he's got a little bit of a bag of pass rush moves you know he has a pretty good swim move he moves pretty well laterally I think that he also uses his hands pretty well to get past tackles he can run stunts pretty well and come from inside and generate some pressure there and uh, you know watching his film he is he is something else and a very special talent I would say and uh, you know I think that he can impact games in a way that a lot of high school tackles or guards or centers just aren't Prepared for. And obviously, when you have these important pieces, your running back one, your wide receiver one, your QB one all coming back. That's a great thing to all come back. You're getting a lot of key pieces back on your defense, you're getting an absolute baller linebacker in Brady Collins, and then a division one commit at defensive end. These are all if you can generate a great pass rush. And, you know, force teams to get tackled in the backfield and play very solid run defense. This is exactly the formula for a state championship team. You look a lot at a lot of great state championship teams. They have a legitimate pass rusher. They have a legitimate run stopper. This team has both those on defense. They have some question marks maybe in the secondary, but nothing that I'm necessarily too worried about. I think that a lot of what this team has to do will determine on where Casey's at and where Caden is. Because, you know, I think that the things that they need to clean up on offense should be fairly easy to fix. And I think that their dominance last year is indicative of a championship caliber team. Now they have a second year quarterback and, you know, with this other year of experience and with this off season, hopefully they add some wrinkles to the offense if uh, Casey's doing his due diligence. And, you know, I think some variety could help this squad that could get, that has been shown to get stuck on play concepts to little success and losses, uh, mostly like the one I watched a lineman in the playoffs. If Caden and Casey can cut back on turnovers, the defensive line should be amongst the best in Colorado football, and pieces coming back appear to be big contributors from last year to have a big season this year. And so looking at it, here's my window of wins kind of category. I put this year Ray has a really good chance to make a run at state. The biggest question mark, I believe, is the same as every year since they've came to this league, and it is, can they beat Lyman? Uh, They did not instill much confidence in me following the postseason, but hopefully with Casey's understanding of the playbook and ability to grow their offense will determine that. Until I see that, I am predicting that as the only loss on Ray's regular season schedule, basically unless they schedule like a 2A contender, because I think that they still have some room for games here. You know, and I am kind of also judging it a little bit off of their schedule from last year. You know, last year, outside of their non-league loss to Centauri, they went undefeated in non-league games, beating Goodland, Estes Park, and then listing uh Burlington as a non-league game. And then, you know, they went four and one in league games, beating Wiggins twenty to seven, beating Holyoke twenty-eight to eleven, beating Yuma thirteen seven. Uh, clobbering Burlington the second time, fifty-one to seven, and then in the playoffs, their playoff games weren't really close either. You know, they took care of business against Highland. They were the higher seed, so they were expected to win that, and they won thirty-four to nine. Florence was, I believe, this was a four seed versus a five seed matchup, so it was a pretty big time matchup, and they managed to trounce Florence in this, uh, thirty-six to seven. So you know they have beaten dominant teams, and it wasn't until the buzz saw. That is the Lyman Badgers that they just struggled and kind of looked uncharacteristic. If I have to be completely honest, I expect a lot more of Ray this year. And, you know, I think that they're a team that should go eight and one. I think that their window of wins is somewhere between seven to nine. You know, they could drop one depending on what the rest of their non-league schedule looks like, seeing as how so far they only have good lend scheduled. But if it mirrors anything that it did last year, they should be undefeated or even some other top teams in one a and, maybe even some other teams in 2A, you know, if they end up against a Sterling, that's probably a game that they can win, right? So the biggest question mark is the big bads. And that's the Lyman Badgers. And, you know, that's why I have their window of wins at nine, because there's a chance for them to beat Lyman. I think that if any year was a year for teams to really take their best shot at the Lyman Badgers, it might be this year. However, don't underestimate Lyman because they'll make you pay and they'll put you right back in the dirt where you belong. But you know, Ray, this was a team that performed phenomenally last year, had an incredible 9-3 and three season, and, you know, it was one of their best seasons in recent history. But, uh, you know, I have a lot of faith in Ray. I'm looking forward to Casey Midcap, the sequel. All right. And, uh, you know, if this offense can cut back on turnovers and this defense can uh, step up and fill some of those gaps that are being left, this team should get by just fine. This team should get by just fine. And now to conclude our North Central preview, we do have the winningest state title-wise program in Colorado football history, the 2021 state runner-ups, and I believe 2020, 2019, maybe 2018 state champion, Lyman Badgers, who just year in and year out, graduated a ton of talent, yet uh, managed to replace it and or find something that may arguably be an upgrade, and they did it again this year. I mean, they had a perfect regular season, going undefeated with a dominant showing across the board. Forty-three-six against Meeker, a playoff team. Twenty to nothing against Strasburg, a playoff team. Forty-six to nothing, Bennett, a playoff team that they would later face. Fifty-five to seven against Coal Ridge, which is a two-A squad. Thirty-four to ten against Yuma in league, a playoff team. Forty-nine to seven against Burlington. 41 to nothing against Ray, a playoff team. 40 to 14 against Holyoke, a playoff team. 59 to 27 in a comeback win against Wiggins, a playoff team. And then in the playoffs, going 45 to nothing, 46 to 19, and 42 to 8 against Bennett, North Fork, and Ray, respectively, before coming just shy in the championship. This was still a successful year, in my opinion, of Lyman. I know that Lyman's standard is. Higher than most programs in Colorado. However, I think that no one was surprised that they made it to another championship, and I think that that Centauri game was an instant classic with plenty of back and forth, and you know, monster or vintage performances by you know legacy players on both sides. I think that that was one of the best games I saw all year, and I think that you know, if you were going to lose to any team all year, losing to Centauri. I mean, I know it's a big deal because it's a championship, but I don't hold it against Lyman at all. They're probably taking it the toughest out of, you know, anybody, which is fine, and I respect that. But I do want to assure them that it's not the end of the world to lose to this Centauri team that was incredibly stacked and also gifted as well. So just want to shout out, you know, that Centauri team and that Lyman team. But I mean, even with that one loss, they were so dominant. Their point differential was 541 to 122. And they didn't even allow 100 points total, over 100 points during the course of the regular season. Um, between uh, the three All-State teams for 1A football, Lyman fielded nine players that were that caliber. And uh, the only thing to, like I said, maybe be sad about is not winning the championship. But it doesn't hurt the Lyman legacy whatsoever as a top tier program in Colorado and as the most dominant state championship-wise. What does hurt is the graduating seniors a little bit. You know, of those nine All-State players, uh, six were seniors, okay? You have, you know, honorable mention section with leading receiver and steady backup QB, Brady Rockwell, who caught for almost 500 and had more receiving touchdowns himself than the rest of the team combined. Uh, as well as a pair of interceptions on defense. So you have a very good athlete there who, you know, was also very serviceable as an emergency quarterback in that playoff game, completing some pretty big throws, honestly, and uh, commanding that huddle when he absolutely needed to. So, you know, you're losing a steady piece there. You're also losing a little bit of, you know, strength on that inside in Eli Wysensee. Wysensee, I don't know why that, is struggling with me so much and Chance Cannon who were both collecting pancakes like it was all you could eat at IHOP on the offensive line but also were terrorizing opposing offensive lines with a combined 10 tackles for loss and you know they also combined for six and a half sacks five and a half of which belonged to Eli And not only were they dominant on the gridiron, but they were huge sources of inspiration and intensity as well as leadership that is going to be the harder thing to replace. They are going to have to ask some of these younger guys to step up and maybe take on some leadership roles that they aren't necessarily as used to. You know, these are guys that were there for that junior year for that championship and maybe have even been contributors all the way back to sophomore and freshman year. Very talented squad And, you know, replacing the intensity and just the enthusiasm that Chance especially brought to that team and then the leadership of Eli is going to be somewhat difficult. And they're not only losing that leadership and experience on, you know, the lineman level, but they're also graduating a 1A, you know, football tackling leader in Kai Bandy who earned a first team All-State nod. Uh, through smart and intense football play. You know, he led the team in tackles for loss. He was the heart of this defense. And those are not easy shoes to fill. And, you know, outside of their seven of their top 11 tacklers graduating, they also lose their starting quarterback, Trey Hines, whose efficiency, you know, kept this team in championship talks. You know, over the course of the season, He threw 13 touchdowns to only three interceptions, being very smart with the football consistently. He would go through his reads and progressions. He was very impressive in that championship game against Centauri. I think that, you know, him leaving that game definitely hurt them a little bit. Not to say that Brady was bad, but Trey was very good and also warm at that point in the game. I hope that he has recovered from his injury since, of course. Wishing the best of luck to Trey heading forward. And, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, he also had three interceptions, not to mention the uh, seven rushing touchdowns that he or I mean, he led in interceptions, is what I meant to say. And he also had seven rushing touchdowns. So 20 total touchdowns for Dre Hines that they are losing, not to mention the legendary running back that is now going to be running and still making plays on the CSU Pueblo field and Jeremiah Leeper, who ran for over 1700 yards in a vicious style of running that struck fear into opposing defenders and matched the Badger culture unequivocally. Jeremiah Leeper, legendary running back, who followed Corey Taha, legendary running back. So who is going to step up and fill those shoes? Well, it's a legend in the making, and Gabe Schubarth, he's number 25, and he ran for the same amount of touchdowns, actually leading this Badger team in rushing touchdowns with 25 himself he also was a very solid second fiddle with 1231 rushing yards making this badger rushing attack a 3,000 yard plus rushing attack obviously that is just that's just insane and then you know he was also second on the team in tackles to kai bandy now the only mild concern i have is gabe's good uh i don't know if he had the strongest state game necessarily but the fact that he was number two in rushing and in tackles, those are some pretty big shoes to fill on both or cleats to fill on both sides of the ball. Having to match that production on both sides of the ball may be too tall of a task for any player. But if there's anyone in the state who could come close to doing it, it is definitely Gabe Shubarth, um, who just used a great combination of acceleration on the offensive side of the ball and was just very instinctive and reactionary on the defensive side of the ball to make plays. I do also think that, you know, there are some big bodies that can hopefully fill the void left by Eli and Chance and uh, senior Michael Hoffman, who tallied eight tackles for loss last year on the defensive line, as well as, you know, a junior lineman in Trayton Marks, who as a sophomore posted 46 tackles and seven of those being for loss. So you get some guys who've already gotten some experience, are already All-State caliber potentially to, you know, try and fill some of that void pick up some of the slack you also have second team all-stater Caden becker who still has a senior season to play and uh, with his long arms and footwork that's assisted by basketball by basketball he should anchor down this offensive line and provide some stability at you know that tackle position and provide plenty of time for whoever appears under center and you know there's no i don't have an answer necessarily to who will be under center But, you know, looking at this roster, it looks like Brady, I'm assuming, has a younger brother in Jordan Rockwell, who took, you know, only a few snaps, very literally a few snaps on the ball this past season. But, you know, with his brother's history of being able to play quarterback and, uh, you know, with him already having some experience, that may be an answer. And if he's anything genetically like his, you know, what I'm assuming is his older brother, then I think that, you know, maybe they don't miss a step here and they get a pretty athletic quarterback here. Uh, who can maybe sling it around the yard and then lastly on defense you know one thing that is a little bit of a concern but is also a bright spot is Stephen Murray's the only returning player to have made interceptions last year and I think that you know he's gonna have to put in a lot of work in the film room and he's also gonna step up have to step up vocally to help this secondary that has lost a pretty significant amount of snaps now, looking at their upcoming record, you know, uh, their, their, record's still, their schedule's still a little bit of a work in progress, but their two non-league games are against Straussburg and Buena Vista. Both teams that could potentially be contending this year. Those will be very, very interesting to see play out. And then on top of that, they have their five league games. So we got seven total games to predict this year. And, you know, they are very intense games. I could see Lyman potentially dropping one to Strasbourg or buena vista but you know if they're non-league matches kind of match last year then i think that they could go undefeated in the rest so you're looking at a three and one or four and one kind of record there and then in league play i have them going undefeated however i think the window to dethrone Lyman is larger than it has been it doesn't mean that you know it's possible but i think the window is probably bigger than it you normally is especially you know, with so many different moving pieces and different shoes to kind of fill. I think that this might be the chance. However, in a nine-game nine, nine game season, I still think that their window of wins is from seven to nine. I think going undefeated in the regular season isn't uh, egregious to suggest, but I do think that anything below seven and two would be really surprising. I think that if they do go seven and two, they probably drop one of those non-league games and then they maybe drop a league game. But until then... I have to believe that this is an eight and one squad. I think that maybe they drop one this year and, you know, maybe it's sometimes it's a little bit better to lose one in the regular season as well anyway, just to kind of actually have things to improve on rather than slaughtering everyone until you get to, you know, that top level competition, right? Uh, However, I think that the top level competition will be in their league this year. So if they're able to take care of business, I'm not sure what the other 1A programs coming back are going to look like, but uh no, I think it's going to be a lot of the same conversation, maybe in this one A level as it normally is, but uh, maybe with a little bit of a shakeup with all the returning talent that some of the other teams in the league are bringing. So I see a eight one, eight two kind of outlook is how I'm going to shake it out. And you know my my overall conclusion here is that this lineman team uh, they've lost a lot, but every year they do graduate a handful of players, and they have other players that are ready to fill those shoes. And, you know, that's a testament to the coaching staff and the ability to develop talent as well as, you know, teach them and get that young talent in and just play the best player available. And, you know, you have some players that are going to try and uphold the Lyman legacy, such as, uh, you know, Rockwell's younger brother, I'm assuming Jordan. And then there's also a Keon Bandy in here as well, who I'm assuming is related to Kai. But you know all of that being said, I'm going to just take a small break before talking about some of these two some of these teams in the 2A West, but that does it for the 1A North Central as a quick reminder. Burlington's Wow two to four. you have Holyokes Wow from four to six. you have Wiggins Wow of seven or six, or my bad five to eight is what that's supposed to be. You have Yumas from two to five. You have Rays that they should only lose one game, and then you have Lyman who might lose one or two games. But that'll do it for the 1A North Central. Come back for some 2A football teams. Howdy, y'all, and welcome back to the Playmakers Corner podcast, where we are going to be talking about the 2022 season preview of the 2A West, okay? And this 2A West is gonna look pretty significantly different from how it looked last year. And I'm gonna be talking about four of the teams this week and then two of the teams next week. So make sure that you stay tuned for next week. But in this 2A West, we are going to have Moffat County and Basalt, who I will be discussing next week. And the four teams that I will be discussing this week will be Grand Valley, Coleridge, Rifle, and Aspen. Now, all these teams are pretty intriguing, but I'm going to start with the team that is going to be playing up from their 1A previous spot last year, and that is the Grand Valley Cardinals. And just to recap, they did go 5-4 last year with a 500 record in league. Now, in this season, they did beat Olaith. I'm not quite sure how to say that. They beat Olathe. 42-8 Forty-two to eight to start their season, and then they also got a win against their future opponent in their own league here against Coleridge, Ridge, thirty-four to seven, being a two-way win. But then they lost to Gunnison, seventeen to seven, before bouncing back and beating Roaring Fork to start their league off one and one. They beat Roaring Fork thirty-five to fourteen, but then they ran into a pretty tough patch here, catching three consecutive losses to North Fork, Meeker, and Florence. All three of these teams were very dominant on the 1A level and all made the postseason. So I'm not going to hold that too much against them there. And then they concluded their season with wins over Cedar Ridge and O'Lathe once again. So what were some things that made this Grand Valley season schedule is, or this season special is, you know, there there are a couple of good ballers here. You know, Emilio Garcia being a senior, uh, they had a pretty solid receiver and Colton Clark, who was also good on the defensive end, as well as Jacob Doyle. But, uh, you know, their their gaps between playoff teams not named Gunnison was a little concerning. However, you know, eh, you know, it's it's definitely interesting to keep tabs on to see how they will compete against maybe other contenders, even on the two a level. So it's an interesting jump. And something that does sting a little bit is losing Emilio Garcia. He had three times the amount of scrimmage yards as everyone else on the team being their leader rusher, kick returner, pump returner, and second leading receiver with over 1,400 yards that must be filled by someone on this Cardinal roster. Not to mention the defensive end. He also led with five interceptions, which, you know, five interceptions is tough to replace for any player, much less one who already did so much on the offensive side of the ball. Additionally, Caleb Pressler was tied for the lead in tackles for loss and also added on another 44 tackles. He walked across the stage, you know, this past spring. And then half of their leading tacklers have also graduated. But they are returning some talent on the offensive side. Like I said, uh, Colton Clark, you know, he was a top four receiver, but he led the team in touchdown receptions. And, you know, could maybe be a point of chemistry and consistency for this you know, for this quarterback here, Stephen Hicks, who is returning in as a junior threw for nearly a thousand yards and a touchdowns. However, the biggest issue he had from last year was the eight interceptions that he also threw. He was just a little bit erratic, I would say. And, you know, last but not least, Jacob Doyle, probably the all time stud for this team that I'm looking at here. He led the team in tackles. He reads plays very well. He shows great physicality, worthy of a middle starting linebacker. And, you know, after watching his film, I'd say his overall, the biggest weakness of his game is his overall strength. And he's just not great engaging blocks. But, you know, anytime he tackles, he tackles very well. His technique when coming up to a ball carrier is very solid. I think that if he could just make some more plays in the pass game and improve his block shedding, Uh, His game will transfer to the 2A level just fine and maybe even have a chance to crack an all-state team. Now, with the window of wins, looking ahead to Grand Valley's 2022 fall schedule, they open up against Ellicott, who has not played a football game since, I want to say 2020 or 2019, so they'll be a little rusty. They have Cedar Ridge, who they beat last year in non-league. They then have Manual, as far as all their non-league games are concerned. They got three of them so far. Then... They go on the road for Basalt, on the road to Aspen, play Coleridge at home, go away for Rifle, and go away from Moffitt County. Wow, they only, they don't play like any home games. What the heck? Okay, so they don't play a lot of home games. That is a little concerning to me, but looking at this roster and looking at how they did last year, I think that they scheduled three very winnable games uh, to start their season against teams who did not make the playoffs as well as graduated good talent this past year. Um, that doesn't really answer how they will fare in the league. I feel like the only teams I could see them really beating is maybe Coleridge or Rifle, and those could honestly go either way. I think that makes Grand Valley's window of wins or wow four to five because they won't go winless in league. Um, I'm just not sure where they end up splitting games to other league teams after probably starting off going undefeated outside of league, and then depending on their other non league game, they could you know, very easily, I think, go five and four or five and five once again. And I think that going 500 in the first year into a would be fantastic for the program and the underclassmen and coaching staff, uh, just that feeling of belonging. And, you know, in order to do that, they cannot make some of the sloppy mistakes that they made last year. They are going to have to clean it up. They're going to have to reduce the amount of turnovers and they're going to have to step it up a pretty considerable notch on defense and they're still looking for their ace in the hole playmaker to replace Emilio Garcia. That is a major, major loss, but I still think that this team is pretty competent outside of that loss to, you know, scrape together three or four wins against this schedule very specifically. And, you know, I think that they probably win one to two games in their new two A League. And I wish them best of luck. But, you know, traveling all that much could prove to be a little bit more tasking. So if they end up closer to that four and five or four and six range it's not the worst thing in the world and speaking of teams that are going to have to clean up their act to improve from last year i am going to transition to newcastle's very own coal ridge titans and you know i'm not going to go too much into detail from last year they did unfortunately not win a football game last year and their closest game was a 24 to 6 loss against steamboat springs there it's plenty of room for improvement it does hurt that their two leading tacklers in mJ holder and John uh, bolito will be graduating or have gradu- graduated after combining for just over 90 tackles but other than that they are returning a lot and it does make me a little bit optimistic and talking about some of this returning talent you know they are returning their two leading tackle for loss players in junior Bryce Jackson who tallied three and a half tackles 20 or tackles for loss 29 total tackles and two sacks as well as Allstate Honorable Mention, Angelo Perea, who had three tackles for loss and two sacks himself, and probably looks to anchor down maybe that offensive line as well and provide some size and physicality. And then all but one interception is returning in the secondary, including Cooper Thurman and Ryder Powell, who both recorded two apiece and combined for five pass deflections. So, you know, they're getting some consistency as far as that Defensive line and in the secondary, that's always a great combination for turning into more wins. If you have somebody who can generate a pass rush and then somebody who can intercept uh, following some pressure, that is you know the easiest way to play defense. And then, you know, I'm not positive if last year's starter, Ryder Powell, is the answer at quarterback after a turnover-riddled season, but it might be a battle between him and who I assume is his younger brother, Reagan Powell, Uh, It may not be his brother, just maybe another pal there. But uh, between the two of them, I think that there's a quarterback somewhere in there. It just depends on who took the bigger strides in the offseason. Now, looking at their statistics last year, I don't know if it was a miscalculation, a misrecording, or what have you. But Brandon Short had a short season, and in five games and only 34 carries, he recorded 231 yards and maybe could be a spark or just a level of consistency for this Cole Ridge team that so desperately needs some of that. You know, I think that if you have a very strong running back, it's going to make whoever's at quarterback a lot stronger. And then, you know, if you're able to control the tempo, of the tempo of the game with a run game with those big linemen up front and with this, you know, Brandon Short, who I think shows a lot of upside in this very limited production last year, maybe you could eke out some wins this year. I also want to note that the three leading receivers for Coleridge were a pair of sophomores and a freshman from last year who could develop further chemistry, and they were led by six three, 175-pound wide receiver Lachlan Wade. So they got big body targets, they got a lot of returning talent, they got consistency, they got familiarity. What does that translate to? And, you know, I think that their schedule this year is a lot friendlier than last year. You know, last year they were playing a little bit of a tough schedule. I mean, Grand Valley was 1A team. I'm pretty sure Cedar Ridge is 1A team. That's a tough loss to have. Steamboat Springs. I mean, they were 3A last year. Uh, they also lost to Lyman, which while Lyman is one team, they could easily compete against a handful of 2A teams very easily, in my opinion. And then they also lost to Delta, and I mean Basalt and Moffat County. Those were all playoff teams with very, very talented and athletic players. However, this year, I think that they have scheduled some more manageable games here. They do start off the season against Steamboat Springs that is graduating some talent. I'm not necessarily sure if that's where the win is, but I think that either their non-league game against Roaring Fork or Salida, both of which did not record a win last year. Both of those games are winnable games, and I think that they're similarly talented teams. Okay, now getting a win in the column would be massive for this program, There's also an opportunity where maybe they sneak two of these games, but then you turn your attention to league right out of these, you know, seven games that they have scheduled right now, or I guess it would technically be eight because they're also going to be playing Aspen, assumingly in the league. And I think that they can end up winning one of these league games. You know, Rifle graduated a lot of talent. And if they're not careful, maybe this Coleridge team could piece it together. But, you know, that is a little bit of an upset pick for sure. I would still favor Rifle to win that game uh, just based off of past success. But, you know, both those teams... Oh, I meant to say Salida and Roaring Fork, they both won one game last year. And that still makes them more successful than Coleridge was. Um, and they also played a lot more close games. So, if, But if I'm Coleridge, I refuse to lose both those games and see one of those two as a must win. Uh, if they develop properly and play their cards correct, they may... Be able to, you know, maybe they can pick up a win against Grand Valley. I think that would be an upset. Um, But, uh, you know, this is a team that can very seriously win zero games this year if they are not careful. But uh, I don't see them winning more than two. So, you know, their window of wins, zero to two, and to focus on the future. But please, you got to win a game. You got to win one of these games against Roaring Fork or Salida. I don't think that is negotiable. And maybe cause for turnover if there hasn't already been here at Coleridge. So, uh, and maybe investing into those youth programs or figuring out that surrounding talent. But that's uh, Coleridge. A little bit of a tough story there. But uh, let's talk about another, you know, team that I think is unfortunately losing a lot, and that is the Rifle Bears who following their 2A spring, or I believe it might have even been called 3A, the spring season was different anyway, but following that victory and being state champs in the spring, they struggled a little bit with the quick turnaround as well as massive turnover on the coaching staff as well as, you know, on their personnel. And so this past year was a little bit of a struggle. They went 3-6, and they scheduled a handful of 3A teams that proved to be pretty difficult and they struggled mightily through their league, uh, while beating Coal Ridge and almost upsetting Basalt last year. However, I think that that'll be a lot harder to take care of, you know, this year with a lot of things kind of going against them. Granted, they did show signs of lice, life of a in a 13 to 7 loss. Holy cow! I'm losing my tongue uh, against Gr- Glenwood Springs, which is a very solid squad and very athletic. And, um, you know, they rode that towards a 42-10 win over the school that hosted the state's leading tackler in uh, Faith Christian in Arvada. So, you know, they did have some solid wins against talented opponents, but they did also have some struggling big-time losses against some very talented opponents. And I don't think it'll get much better as leading tackler and quarterback Trey Caldwell, who led in both solo and total tackles and interceptions, is graduating and... As well at quarterback, you know, he struggled, but eclipsed a thousand scrimmage yards and between running and passing was responsible for 10 touchdowns. Not only is Trey graduating, who is, you know, the top tackler, but seven of the top 11 tacklers graduated, including nearly everyone who recorded a tackle for loss, like Brock Caldwell and Levi Miller, who each recorded two. And Brock Caldwell was also the leading receiver with 176 yards. Uh, Justin Gill was the sack leader with three sacks. He's graduating and pass deflection leader. Peyton Prettyman, who had six pass deflections, is also graduating. He was another threat on receiving with two receiving touchdowns and 129 yards on offense. And then Total Fletchell, who is the team's leading rusher, is also graduating after putting up 700 yards basically and five scores. So do the math. That is your starting quarterback, your starting running back, your starting wide receiver, your leading tackler, Seven, six of your other leading tacklers and the biggest stud in your secondary, essentially. That's a lot of losses. And that's going to be hard to overcome for a team that already, I think, struggled pretty mightily uh, this last season. Granted, they get a full offseason to get a lot of these young guys up to speed, but they have a lot of unproven talent as it stands. You know, I think that some guys who we will continue to see is maybe a uh, Nicholas uh, Saldivar, who was third in line for touches in the backfield and, you know, had 48 carries and managed to sniff close to 200 yards. You also have Jesus Martinez, who is second on the team in tackles. And, you know, you have the third and fourth leading tacklers in Street and Bastillos. So, you know, while they are losing uh, seven of the top 11, they do have three of the top that are returning so that is good for their defense and uh, Bastios was also amongst the top in tackles for loss then you have six foot three d end Gabe McGregor who could be a game wrecker after recording two sacks last year and you know if he's able to fill out that frame he could give a lot of offenses nightmares with that size and strength now I think that rifle scheduling is always so interesting but I do see you know a handful of wins this season Looking at their schedule, you know, they do start off the season against a 1A solid team in Florence before rounding out non-league scheduled games this far uh, against Montezuma-Cortez and Gledwood Springs. And then they also have a non-league game against Brush, but that'll be after Delta. I don't know why it's saying Delta's in their league because I'm pretty sure Delta move. But anyways, they have Delta, which is an away game, and Brush, which is an away game. And then they also have to start off their league streak with an away game against Moffat County and come home against Basalt. That is a really rough schedule. If they're able to beat Florence, that'd be great. If they're able to beat Montezuma Cortez, that'd be great. I think Glenwood Springs is going to take a huge step forward this year, as is Delta. So, you know, they might be looking at 2-2, two and two, heading to Brush. We're not sure what Brush is really going to look like with all their graduating talent. However, that is still a 2 A defending team. So, or you know, state runner up. So that's still a team that has talent that will be coming back. So that's something to watch out for. And then Moffat County and Basalt. I'm not sure. I mean, Basalt, they did almost pull off an upset last year, but I'm not sure if they'll be able to do much of the same. So you're potentially looking at a, I mean, at best three and three start, but even potentially a two and four or one and five hole before rounding out their league against Aspen, Grand Valley, and Cole Ridge. Now, I do think that they can win two of these games, potentially, and thus, that puts, you know, this window of wins, or WoW, from two to four. I think that Rifles should win four games and go four and six, but uh, they could go two and eight if they're not careful, if they're not developing their talent appropriately, if they don't find people who can, you know, if they don't find people who can fill those cleats of those past players, so you know, Rifle is teetering a very dangerous line here between these two to four wins, as, you know, they can make a world of difference if they win a couple of these games or if they pull off an upset, they could easily catch some fire and maybe go five and three, and maybe make the playoffs. But, uh, you know, we'll see what their other non-league games look like. We'll see if they schedule more games. They could go four and four. Um, But, uh, you know, they do have plenty of tough tests ahead of them and they best be equipped. And that brings us to the very last team on this episode and one that I think has a lot of upside, but I really had to dig through for their stats. Aspen, hopefully this new coach is able to put stats into Max Reps because I had to do a lot of digging, but I was able to find some good notes on this team. And so Aspen, you know, this team went three and six last year, but that included a 35 to nothing run in a comeback win against Colorado Springs Christian to start their season. And, um, you know, they followed this with a very competitive game against Summit, uh, which was the first of back-to-back 3A matchups. And then, you know, they even closed that gap against 3A by 9 points. Then they also faced Steamboat, who at the time was 3A and lost that game by 3. I think that this 3-game losing streak was very unfortunate and puts a damper on a season that I think had a lot more potential and upside. You know, I think that they could have actually stolen two of these games if they were the team now that they uh, was playing then, if that makes sense with the extra experience and uh, playmaking and whatnot. But um, following that, they bounce back. They get a win in league against Rifle before, you know, kind of getting decimated by Delta and Moffat. Those two teams are just in a league of their own, more or less. You'll hear more about Moffat uh, next week, so stay tuned for that. And then they bounce back with another league win against Coleridge before ending their season against basalts with a loss on the road. So, you know, three and six. However, there is some major winds of change coming about here. You know, Eric McReady was promoted to the head coach of Aspen. He's a former Cherry Creek guy, a former CU Buffs football player and graduate assistant for coach. And, you know, he was the special teams and wide receivers coach. And from the looks of the film, those look like the positions and teams that made plenty of plays. Now, they are losing a very skilled athlete in Porter Lee, who is a wide receiver slash running back slash DB slash quarterback slash do it all kind of guy who is just super athletic. But overall, you know, on a roster of only of 46, they're only graduating 13. Um, And it looks like, you know, Porter Lee's absence may be cushioned a little bit. They have class of 23 quarterback Nate Thomas, who did kind of sling it around the yard fairly all right you know, he was able to complete some deep passes and, you know, hit some passes on the sideline as well as the middle of the field. So, you know, there's some upside there, I think. And it also helps that he has wide receiver slash outside linebacker Aiden Flynn to target, who is, you know, over six foot. I believe he's like six foot one. So he has kind of a taller target to, you know, go to. And then there's also receiver slash returner Judd Gertman, who, you know, has very solid acceleration. He can stop on a dime. Uh, He's capable of providing solid blocking He also comes back to the ball very strong on comeback routes, which is always a good thing to have to move the chains. And then, you know, he also takes jet sweeps and had big time performances against Steamboat and Montezuma. You know, I think he could dance a little bit less and then he'll pick up some more yards. And so hopefully that's something that they're focusing on. But they have a pretty decent offensive core here. And, you know, as it stands currently, they have six games scheduled. And I'm also going to throw Cole Ridge in there um as Coleridge is in the league but is not listed they currently have Battle Mountain to start the season then Steamboat and you know their league schedule so out of these seven games what I'm kind of projecting is that I can see them going two and three in league again but this year I think with Steamboat graduating their quarterback that gives Aspen a better chance of beating them this year by returning their own quarterback and a couple of skilled players and We'll see where their offense is. I think that if they're going to upset anyone in their league, they could maybe upset Basalt in a possible shootout. But that is that is not a prediction. That is a possibility. That is an alternate universe. So I'm not going to buy that yet. But I see their current window of wins, uh, with their six games being no lower than three and three. Um, they could potentially claw out to four and two, and you know, with Cole Ridge in there, they could potentially be five and two if they are able to pull off an upset um but uh you know we're probably looking over the course of nine games at a four and five or five and four season more than likely for these aspen skiers we'll see if they get some more game scheduled. i know that they're pretty out there and that that's a lot of traveling for teams to go in or out but uh, you know this is a pass heavy offense with athletes and you know big targets for this quarterback to take some solid steps forward I'm very intrigued by Eric McReady as head coach and, you know, the collegiate experience as well as the program experience that he has developing some guys that I think look pretty impressive on the film. They look very athletic. They look very agile. They have a quarterback who I think can throw it around the yard fairly well. I wish that I had more access to a little bit more statistics to analyze maybe some of the mistakes that they made. But, uh, you know, hopefully that is something that culturally will change with this program as well. I mean, this is a team that, has made the playoffs two times in the last five years. So, you know, they're not that far removed from success doing a lot of the same stuff. And, you know, I think this coach being a little bit younger than the previous coach could, you know, whip this team into shape, bring a new level of energy, a new level of excitement, and could brace this Aspen team to hopefully leave with a winning record within league. But if he doesn't, I mean, not the biggest deal, they can still improve from last year, which I think is the most important thing of looking at this season for Aspen. But woo, we did it. We got through 10 teams here. And if you don't recall, or if you were jumping around, please go ahead and give all of these a listen. You had the Burlington Cougars to start off this show, then the Holyoke Dragons, the Wiggins Tigers, the Yuma team, and the Ray Eagles and Lyman Badgers to round out the 1A North Central. And then you had the Grand Valley Cardinals, the Coleridge Titans, the Rifle Bears, and the Aspen Skiers of 2A. So, you know, lots of small school talent, but I think there's a lot of intriguing storylines for sure this year to pay attention to. And in order to do that, please make sure that you are following us on social media at Playmaker Corner on Twitter, at Playmakers Corner on Instagram. We are also on TikTok posting these season previews as well so make sure to follow us there playmakers corner we're also on youtube posting some reels playmakers corner on youtube two different words we're also on facebook playmakers corner two different words there's plenty of places to find announcements and you know previews for other schools we're previewing one through five a so simon's got the south more or less i got the north more or less and mason covering a heavy amount of the denver metro area next week i am going to finish up the 2a league and then i have not decided on if i should do more 3a 4a or 1a teams so please let us know on social media under this post but in the meantime i have been your host cody Stoffer. thanks for rocking with us and we'll see you around